Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's show, I brought on a special guest, Anthony Zhang. Anthony is the co-founder and CEO of Vinovest, an innovative platform aimed at facilitating the process of investing in fine wines. Anthony, welcome to the show. Mark, a pleasure to be on. Cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to today's episode. We get to talk about two things I, I like, wine and investments. How did you uh, you know, really decide to start Vinovest? So the origin story for Vinovest was almost five years ago. I had just sold my first company and was interested in learning more about the world of investing, um, but not just traditional equities and, and bonds. I was more interested in alternatives because to me, it seemed a lot more fun. I remember just one day reading an article talking about how the world's ultra wealthy were investing in these asset classes. And kind of no surprise at the top of the list was things like art and wine and whiskey and antique cars. And wine just really caught my attention. Uh, Like you, it's something that I've always been interested in. Wouldn't consider myself a wine expert by any means, but uh, that was really the impetus for me to want to start exploring more into the investing side of wine. And after I did some research and kind of looked at the historical track record of the asset, that just really solidified um, my my interest in and made me want to dive in. Can you give us a quick high-level overview of how the platform works? Yeah. So Vinovest makes it easy for anybody to invest in fine wines. We handle the portfolio construction, the sourcing, the custody and storage of the wine, as well as liquidity um, for when people want to buy and sell out of positions. So we're an all-in-one online platform. We actually custody these wines, we insure them, and we make sure that they're stored properly while enable to facilitate a more efficient and transparent market around um, you know, an asset that's typically only available at auctions where there's you know not entirely transparent dynamics there. So let, let's say I'm an investor and I'm interested. I, I go on to Vinovest, I create an account. Do I then see like a marketplace of available wines that are available to purchase? So today the user experience is closer to like a robo-advisor. Okay. So we don't really put the onus on you to choose a list of wines, so to say. What we want to do is learn about your financial goals, right? Like how long are you looking to invest for before you want to achieve your return? What's your risk appetite? Are you more on the conservative side or are you more on the aggressive speculative side? And then finally... You know, what's, what's your investment amount and where do you want to get to? Based on those factors, our algorithm will actually be able to construct a portfolio of recommended wines for you. And then we then deploy that capital on your behalf. Is there different risk profiles to wines where, you know, one wine may appreciate quicker or depreciate quicker, you know, drop in price quicker than, than others? Absolutely. Just like global equities, there's your equivalent of your large clap blue chip stocks like your Amazons or Apples of the world. And in the wine world, those would be wines from regions like Bordeaux and Burgundy and Napa, places that have a long track record of producing price appreciating wines. Um, On the more so speculative side, you've got your equivalent of emerging markets, right? Emerging wine regions, uh, maybe newer winemakers or newer wineries that have less of a track record, but 
have the potential to outpace the industry. Makes sense. So let's go back to the portfolio construction. And I go through the exercise, determine what my risk profile looks like. Uh, you guys come back with a recommended portfolio, and then it gets deployed, like you like you mentioned. Are you actually going out and buying physical wine, or is it basically some security that's correlated or tied to actual wine? So you you get the direct benefit and ownership over those wines. So every single investor portfolio is individually constructed. It's personalized. And we could tell you like, hey, Mark, these are your 10 cases of wine. Here's exactly what they are, where they are. And you can even choose to redeem them down the line if you wanted to. So it's really direct and simple ownership um, and not any sort of derivative or security product on top of it. Okay. So now I have this portfolio of wine. Am I able to track it in terms of uh, pricing? And then how is pricing done? Is it, you know, I know I can get an, a quote on Apple instantaneously. Are wines priced like that or are they priced differently? Yeah, those are great questions. So through the VinoVest platform, you'll have access to the largest database of secondary market transaction data in the world. And that's how we aim to build the, the live quotes and mark to market for your assets. So whenever someone else in the world transacts that wine or a sale is made, we put that data point in as your last mark to market. Um, and the goal is to have it be as transparent, as liquid, as um, you know, as a stock would be, but 24-7, right? Because this is a global market and doesn't have any opening or closing hours. And what's the typical, like I know you mentioned the risk profile, but I imagine a component of that is, do you look to the investor to, to determine their hold time? Because I, I would imagine one, one, their hold time, but also do different wines mature at different times? Yes. And you know how does that go into the, the construction of the portfolio? Hold time is extremely important. In general, I would say wine is a pretty long-term asset class because the things that really drive the price appreciation are A, supply and demand, right? Say we produce a bunch of wine here in 2021, 10 years later, there's going to be less of that wine from this year around, right? Because mm -hmm. consumption. And the number two is the natural aging process of the wine. Depending on which wine, which region, which winemaker, there are different sort of peak maturity time windows in which that wine is believed to have aged to its top potential. For some wines in Bordeaux and Burgundy, it could be 25, 30 years from the release date. For maybe other wines, it could be 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm that initial time horizon is really important to set and agree upon with each of our customers because it determines the age of the wine that we're going to buy as well as the type of wine that we're going to buy so that it really hits its peak maturity when you want to take that exit. Is the actual asset liquid or do I, are there certain points uh, where I can sell or when it makes sense to sell? You can absolutely sell at any time, but I think when wines are getting closer to that peak maturity period is when you see more liquidity, more price action, more demand. Mm -hmm. Not to say that you couldn't, you know, buy wine and sell it tomorrow. We've seen that before, um, but you know, most of our clients have a, a longer term outlook on it. And if I sell it, am I selling it back to Vinovest? Am I selling it? Am I selling it to Vinovest, who then sells it to other investors, or is there an actual like secondary marketplace where these can get sell, sold at? So Vinovest is creating a secondary marketplace where you can interact with our tens of thousands of investors. Or we also have external partners that are more on the sort of like consumption and distribution side. So actual wine retailers or auction houses that may have demand for that. And then we essentially just match you with the best price, right? We don't care if it's Joe from Oklahoma or, you know, a professional wine storage facility in Bordeaux that wants to buy it. Mm -hmm. We just care about the, the fairest price for the customer. 
what what percentage of investors do you see like actually physically redeeming the bottles and having them shipped out to, to, to them versus, you know, either selling them at some point? Right now, it's about one to 2% of our users who have actually redeemed the bottles. I think we may see more of that as time goes on. But the primary reason that people are on this platform is to diversify and collect and, you know, potentially make some returns down the road, not really to, to buy it to drink. <laughs> Makes sense. What percentage of the people come in as like, you know, really into wine versus people who are just investors looking at a, a different asset class? Does someone have to have that kind of affinity to wine? Have you seen to uh, join the platform or are you seeing it kind of a uh, broad, broad strokes across? The vast majority are the latter. They're people who are just looking for great investment opportunities. Um, you know, a lot of them don't even drink or don't drink wine at all uh, because we've designed the platform for the masses. There's definitely a niche for the existing wine collector, but you know if you're familiar with anyone who's into collecting, they actually enjoy spending time researching the asset and spending time with it, and um, kind of the the labor intensive process of trying to find the best deal and managing everything yourself. Whereas Vinovest is for sort of the mass market of folks who either don't have that expertise or time or desire to be a wine expert to be able to get some exposure. Mm-hmm. And I know you mentioned supply and demand. Is there anything else that dictates or directs the price of wine? It's really supply, demand, and age. Those are the biggest factors that we see. Of course, there are other sort of external factors like critic scores are pretty important in some regions. They're you know kind of akin to an analyst issuing a, a rating right on a, on a stock. The other thing would be brand equity, global consumption demands, and, and taxes and tariffs. So for example... Earlier this year, when I think Biden lifted a 25% tariff on European goods, wines from Bordeaux and Burgundy prices really, uh, really shot through the roof because they were suppressed for quite some time given that 25% tariff. So sometimes there are sort of market factors at play that are affecting any market. Mm-hmm. And I know art can go on in perpetuity with wine, and I know there's like a maturity date, but is there actually a lifetime of the wine where at some point it becomes an asset that's worth nothing? I think it is. I think at some point, the wine is not good to drink anymore. And it Mm -hmm. turns more from an actual asset to more of like a collectible or a piece of memorabilia. Then you're starting to look into this sort of realm of really old bottles, maybe they're 40, 50 years old, and you still hear the news of them going up at auction and selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's because at that point, it's a piece of history, right? Right. This year, wine from 1945 just sold for $250,000. I bet you that wine's definitely not tasting good, but it's because it's probably one of like 10 bottles left in the world that are from that year, from that vineyard. And it was such an iconic year. People are still going to want it for, for other purposes, right? And that's, that's when wine actually gets closer to art because it's really, really expensive and it's really like in the eye of the beholder, right? Someone could be like, oh, that's my, that's my grandpa's birth year, right? And I really want to be able to get this for him or share it as a part of family history. And all you need is one buyer at that stage. So. It becomes less of an efficient market, but still has that price appreciation potential, even though the logical utility of the asset is is diminishing. It probably depends on the investor and the wine, but is there like a typical hold time that if someone goes in today and creates their portfolio that you know they should think about holding the assets for? Yeah, great question. I would say most of our investors are settling on a five to 10 year time window. That'll, I think, give them enough flexibility with planning out for a long-term asset in their portfolio. But also on our side, it gives us much more assets to be able to choose from that can appreciate within that within that desired timeframe. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. And 
you know, just the asset in general, as we've seen inflation over the past year, how has the price of wine uh, reacted to that? So wine has traditionally been an asset that has outpaced inflation. Past 30 years, it's around a little bit over 10% in annualized returns. And this year, we've certainly seen prices accelerate because of those inflation and supply chain issues. Things like labor shortages, things like material costs and supply chain expenses going up are all driving into that factor of the initial price of, of new bottles in the market going up. And also tangentially related, but climate change has also played a big factor on rising price of wine because when the weather is more volatile, the yields become lower and the wineries need to sell at higher prices to be able to keep up. So we've also seen a lot of these consumers who are seeing less and less new wine being released into the market start to target older wines that are maybe five to 10 years old and really buying up existing supply in the market as well. And all that has has led to double digit returns um, annually for the average price of a bottle of wine on our platform. And I know you mentioned that on the platform, you are creating this secondary marketplace. So I get the investor who wants to sell their portfolio, but for the investor that wants to look at that secondary marketplace? Are they still going through that like robo-advisor-like experience? Or in the secondary marketplace, can they actually pick specific bottles or cases? So right now, our secondary marketplace is is open to certain subsets of our users. We do plan on rolling it out in public. But I think to your point, uh, the eventual version of it will be, you know, kind of a, a managed kind of robo-advisor platform and then a self-directed trading platform, much like your traditional kind of brokerage experience as well. So users who do know what they want, can actually take specific positions instead of having a portfolio that is a little bit more hands-off. So for the investor that's buying, so they go through that first initial portfolio construction, and then maybe they come back six months later with another amount of capital. Are they then going forward and creating a whole you know, separate second portfolio, or are they like adding to the existing portfolio that they have? We add to the existing portfolios. Okay. So that way we're able to have a little bit more of a holistic model Having larger portfolios also gives you access to more expensive bottles that at lower price points may just take too much of a position, right? Like, for example, if you had 10K in there, there's no way we would put a $5,000 bottle of wine into a 10K portfolio just from a risk standpoint. But Mm -hmm. you started with 10K and over the course of the next couple of years, you're now at 25K, then that 5K bottle makes sense because it's not too big of an individual position in, in your overall portfolio. And what are the ranges of prices and bottles? Is it really that wide of a range where it can be, you know, something relatively inexpensive to like that five thousand dollar bottle? Yeah, so we've we've sold bottles that are under hundred bucks. We've sold bottles that are over fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it really does range. And you know, just like the stock market, there are so many large cap, mid cap, low cap stocks that you can be able to customize your portfolio on. And same thing with the wine world price points. So there's really a lot of optionality for any type of investor uh, looking to understand this market. Creating the platform, are you guys charging like a commission on each time you construct a portfolio for someone? Is it like your typical robo-advisor or asset fee? How do you guys work with it? So we make money by charging that annual fee, much like any robo-advisor would. It ranges from 2% to 2.8% above the management and access to the platform and things like that. The most important thing we're de-risking is the storage and custody and insurance. Unlike a hedge fund manager, like we have real cost to keeping this bottle of wine correctly stored. Um, and that's that's really how we make money. And we also charge on a commission basis on the on the secondary market. So on a per trade basis. 
you know, you mentioned storage and insurance. I guess that's one of the concerns I'm sure investors will have. The insurance that they have, it, it adequate to cover whatever size portfolio they have? Exactly. So we are able to offer very robust insurance coverage on all the wines that we give to our investors on our platform. So not only are they inspected at the point of delivery when it hits our storage facilities, but then they also go through uh, regular reappraisals as well as spot checks for provenance and authenticity. And even in case something happens to the bottle, we have that full replacement value so that the investor can still be safe. And I know you mentioned um, some of the things that you know you have upcoming in the secondary marketplace. What else is coming up and anything new that you guys have in store for the platform? So I think for VinoVest, what we really want to do is to really build a lot of tools to help people learn about the trading side of wine, right? I think there's a lot of a lot of content out there about tasting wine, which is, I think, still very intimidating to most people. But um, when we start building out charting and analysis and, and research, that can help anybody be able to see like, oh, I believe that the region of Italy is poised to explode in the next, next five years for macro reasons A, B, and C, right? So we want to really encourage and develop that content and community around our system so that it can really support activity on our secondary market platform. And I guess, I mean, even though it is a beverage, the asset for capital gains purposes, buying and selling is a taxable transaction, I I would imagine, correct? Yes, it is. Considered a collectible in the United States. In different other countries, they have different tax treatments as well. But that's something to keep note of on long-term and short-term gains as well. Mm -hmm. One more thing on the the wine delivered, which you said they're, you know, one to 2%. What if someone has like their own personal collection? Are they able to get that onto the VinoVest platform? Or is that something that would you know have to be like totally separate and would stay offline? Yeah. So we have a very stringent vetting process for all the supply that comes onto our platform because that is one of the key risks in the industry, right? Like mm-hmm. you can tell me that you've got the best seller and the best models in the world, but there's no way I'll know unless they actually come and check your house and be able to have receipts on who you bought it from, right? So for third-party collectors that do have that required documentation and have stored it in the right professional facilities, we'll be able to take their stock, but um, we don't take anything below that just to be able to de-risk the experience on our platform. Do you have relationships with each wineries or is there, I guess, distributors where you're kind of having a little bit less number of, of relationships with where you source your wine from? All of the above. When we can have direct relationships, we will. But there are some regions and some states that don't permit that. So we work with that distributor level or the agent level on folks that represent wineries. What percentage of the wines on the platform are international versus uh, US-based wines? That's an awesome question. I would say over 80% are international. I think when it comes to the wine world, it's still very much so dominated by, by France and by Italy. And the US, even though it's the largest consumption market, doesn't make that much investable wine outside of California. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I've had some bad wines in the Northeast region. <laughs> Those are still good to drink, but not to invest in. Yeah. You mentioned the, you know, one of the ways to really promote the the platform or to grow the platform is by providing data and different analytical tools and things like that. How do you get the just a normal investor even aware of this asset class? Because I think that's probably, that sounds like a, a challenge. It absolutely is. And that's, I think our biggest challenge to date is that wine investing is not something that most people know about. Um, And even if they do know about, they don't know how to get started. I think that's one of the big issues that we're trying to solve with VinoVest. Wine collecting has really traditionally been reserved only for ultra-wealthy people. Because of that, there's not a lot of 
transparency in the space. There's folks that I think enjoy having that sort of in, information asymmetry so that they have the edge. But at Vinovas, like, you know, we have taken the data and democratized it. We want to be able to have it be accessible to someone regardless of how long they've been in the industry. I think the access to information should be free and it's taken a lot of effort by our team to be able to digitize a lot of these offline processes and sales to be able to bring more of this volume to a greater mass. And before VinoVest, if I wanted to invest, would I have to then figure out which wine I want to buy, where to buy it from, how to store it, how to make sure that it is insured and you know everything else that, that comes along with it? Was that the only way to do it? Yeah. For most people, that was the only way. Like You need wine sellers your, yourself. You need to be able to qualify to participate in an auction. You need to be able to do your own due diligence on which wines you think will go up in value. And then you have to coordinate your own shipping as well, which is extremely complicated given that it is alcohol from foreign countries. So when I started in the space, that those are my options. The other options are investing in wine funds, but oftentimes you need to pay a lot of money to even meet the minimum check size and then also be locked in for a long amount of time. So for us, like we believe that this is, can be you know, a 10x better experience from a user level who's a retail investor and on the institutional side as well. Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned the average return over the past time for wine. How is it correlated with some of the traditional, let's say, assets? Is it pretty tightly correlated where like in 2008, 2009, you know, when there was a big drop, wine prices dropped, or is it somewhat uncorrelated? So the correlation levels for the last 10 years have been very low. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it's less than 5% on average between wine and the S&P. And especially during those times of deflationary or recession periods, for example, in 0809, when equities, I think, plunged around 50%, fine wine market only went down by 9%. Mm -hmm. And if, even if you look back even further to the dot-com crash, wine went down 12%, stocks again went down 40 50%. So it has proven to be um, a really strong hedge during these recessional periods too. I know one of the trend topics that's out there now is climate change. How does that impact wine at all? It absolutely does because at the end of the day, wine is an agricultural business, right? So the product is being affected by climate change. This means that areas that are your prime wine growing regions are, are getting hotter and hotter on average, which means they have less and less supply, um, but also opens the doors for new opportunities. So Wine regions that previously were considered too cold to grow great wine are now starting to kind of hit their hit their sweet spot. So Germany is a great example where people think of German wine, they think of Riesling, and that's a white wine. But now with some parts are making really great red wines too because of that changing climate, and they're starting to gain a lot of acclaim. So there are some up-and-coming regions because of climate change that are worth keeping an eye on. What are some of the other ones, you know, aside from Germany that are that are out there? I would say not a new region, but Oregon now is starting to become more and more pricey in terms of your average bottle. And then I would say other regions that have traditionally made wine, I think could be more attractive are certain parts of South America, mm -hmm. um, Chile and Argentina, especially with you know the mountain ranges and you know sort of microclimates there that can produce really great wine. And who knows, even parts of East Coast America or even parts of Canada down the line could be the right sort of climate to reduce wine. And that could attract the right talent and the right resources in the future. And what's your, your favorite wine to either invest in or actually drink? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I would say to drink, I love wine from Northern Rhone. Okay. Um, so these are mostly Syrah's favorite regions would be like Hermitage or Cote Roti. 
Um, and then from an investment standpoint, I'm really, really bullish on champagnes. Okay. They have the highest correlation between price return and age. So it's an extremely steady and predictable asset. And from just a supply standpoint, it's really hard to create more of it because it's such a labor intensive process. And, you know, even the youngest Dom Perignon you see on the market is from 2011. You know, it's, it's 10 years old because that's the youngest vintage. So it's a 10 year process to create wine. And people 10 years ago did not know what global demand looks like today. And that's why champagne cannot keep, keep being on the shelves. It's just flying off. And we've seen huge price increases. Some, some are even triple digit price increases within the last year for some of these high-end rare champagnes. That brings up a good point. Are, are you? How often do you update your models on your side based on what's going on in the industry and, and with the wine market in general? So we meet on a quarterly basis. So that in- includes our, our internal team members on the data science investment and wine side, as well as external advisors um, who help to provide a, a more macro view, both in the wine industry and within global markets. And that's to, I mean, that's basically like your same as like a, a fund and its selection committee and how that determines you're going through everything that's going on. And, you know, this one is a, maybe there's value in this type of wine. Maybe this one has gotten too expensive. And you're basically taking all that into consideration and, and building out that algorithm from that, from all that data that you're collecting and, and analyzing. Yep, absolutely. Cool. All right. So we're just about out of time. Anthony, I want to thank you for being on the show. You provided some really great information on how do you utilize wine and how it can be fit into someone's portfolio? How best can someone find out more about you and more about VinoVest? Awesome. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure getting to know you better. And thanks for the insightful questions as well. Best way to contact me is is just through my email, anthony at vinovest.co and our website. If you want to check it out, we've got a great team that can help walk you through the process and you know see if wine is right for you to be able to kickstart your 2022 portfolio with. So that's at vinovest.co. Awesome. Thank you. We'll link to all that in the show notes. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.